Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. Uh, we are back after a week off because, Pete, you've been organising your wedding, so I think we'll, you get a pass on that, to be honest. Dude, yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I have been organising my wedding, and that has taken up a lot of my time, so I do apologise because it's largely, I would say, my fault that we didn't uh, keep up the, the regular schedule of the show over, the, to be honest, the last couple of weeks, so I'll take that one. Um, and in addition to that, I mean, <laughs> the last time that we were behind these mics doing this show, I was talking about how uh, you were on the cusp of going to a film festival, more on that later, but I was on the cusp of running the most grueling and harrowing run of my life, considering that I have no real athletic pedigree. I signed up to a half marathon for some reason. Um, in the end, I managed to make... I made it? it through, man. I know you did it. That's cheating. People should know that I, I know you did I it I made right it through. <laughs> but to, to be honest with you, it does take a good few days to sort of physically recover from a thing like that so um, I wasn't like jonesing to sort of head out to the cinema in the the days right after Um, having said that I raised money for charity which is fantastic Arthritis UK I I mentioned on the show was what I was working for uh, in terms of sponsorship and and we did really well on that and so um, yeah really happy it was a great experience man and I think I've kind of caught the bug now because as I've been telling you off Mike Paul I've been looking to the future and the possibility of further half marathons and even maybe the London Marathon so more on that later but Paul, you, as I've just mentioned, you went to a film festival just after the last show, didn't you? And that was Exit 6 in Basingstoke, which we've covered before for our show because we know some of those people and they're good people. And I think you've got some stuff to say about it this week. I do have, yeah. So basically, in place of sort of kind of what I've normally watched section, I am going to talk briefly about A Star Is Born, but I'm going to sort of cover my highlights from the Exit 6 film festival in Basingstoke, really. Um, and again, I just wanted to, to, to make clear that the fact that this is now in its third year, um, still incredibly professionally put together. Um, across multiple screenings in Basingstoke. Again, I'm always astounded. This year they had um, they had the Batmobile there from Tim Burton's Batman. They had the car from Dumb and Dumber, and they had the Ecto Ecto One mobile as well from Ghostbusters. So they actually had some uh, movie cars parked up in Basingstoke Town Centre. So that I think brought brought the the mood of uh, the film lovers to town a bit more. So that was very very good. So yeah, as ever, impeccably well organised. I said I am a little bit biased this year because I was lucky enough to be on the selection panel, so I've seen a lot of the uh, a lot of the films that went in. But people appeared to enjoy what they saw, which was good. Um, so, yeah, very, very good film festival. And if you haven't been, then I urge you, you know, if you haven't been to a film festival full stop, I urge you to to attend one. Um, don't be put off by the fact that you might think they might be sort of full of people sort of sneering and looking down the noses at you because they're filmmakers and they're not short films and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it's um, what what works about X66 is kind of the after party afterwards is, is a lot of fun. And I think I put on Twitter that uh, one of us one of us was physically broken and the other one ran a half marathon uh, on the morning <laughs> on the morning after X66. So the after party is always fun. Uh, the filmmakers are normally around for you to talk to and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I would urge anyone that hasn't experienced a film festival, whether it be X66 or any film festival, please check it out because they're generally a celebration of all things film and you can see some you can check out some new talent there especially short and, films and well. highlights wise is there anything that stood out in terms of this because you went to an endless number of screenings i suppose in that day um what what was like the best of this year because like the one f- two times that i've been to this festival uh the last two years obviously the the standard was pretty universally high so yeah what what was the best of this year yeah no and it, it was it was universally high as i said when we were when we were paneling for it there was a what 200 plus entries and well just under 200 entries in fact and we had to knock those down to i think 44 films in the end and that was incredibly difficult and then beyond those 44 we then had to pick six of the best which then go towards uh go to be judged this year by uh, the actor Bern Gorman who picked his favourite 
Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, highlights for me, um, I think the insecurities of Dill. Um, the filmmaker was a lovely chap as well. So if you are listening to this, uh, hello again. You were a very nice man and your uh, film is very, very funny. If you can find... It's the, the only difficulty with short films is always quite difficult to find these anywhere. So um, what I will try and do, I'll try and find out if any of these films are available and we'll post the link. So the insecurities of Dill... Um, I will read out the little blurb for it because to spoil all this would would be to ruin the film and it's very, very funny. And part of what's funny about it is the surprise sort of midway through. Uh, after a morning of passion, Dill's suspicion that the woman he has made that the woman he is made for is seeing someone else begins to bear fruit. So it's a, a sexy comedy, shall we say, but it doesn't go where you expect it to go. So Insecurities of Dill is very, very good. Um, another one that stood out for me uh, was directed by Tessa Hoff. Uh, and this is Spinosaurus. This was one of the judges six. Um, so it's kind of like this, you've got two children. The the the, the slightly older girl is looking after a younger brother. Uh, it's insinuated something's happened to the mother, and you're not quite sure what. But it was a searingly powerful drama um, that yeah really really had an impact on the audience, and that was great. That was great to see. Um, it's Not Custard, another comedy directed by Kate McCoy, uh, was very, very funny. Um, you'd need quite a strong stomach for this one because essentially the, the crux of it is um, a teenager ends up with acne and then somehow manages to pass the acne onto her bedroom wall. Um, and it's called It's Not Custard. So, yeah, your face is correct there, Pete. It's, uh, it's very, very funny. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, for the, uh, not for the weak stomach. Um, and I would say my highlight of the festival, personally, um, was a film directed by Dean Puckett. Uh, and this is The Sermon. Um, basically, imagine like it's kind of, I would say, set, set in the same sort of time frame as the film The Witch. Um, and has got this kind of stripped back, very sort of British, almost Wicker Man horror feel to it. Um, it's very, very well made um, and very, very effectively shot. And I think that this guy will probably go on to make an effective, very effective horror feature um, at some point. So, yeah, that was probably some of my highlights without go. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the films that are on there because there were a lot of good films. Those are the ones that kind of stand out to me and, and stick in my memory. But certainly I'll be back next year. Um, hopefully they'll ask me back to panel again because it was a good experience. Um, but, yeah, no, a very good film festival. And, again, whether this, whether it be X6 or another film festival, if you haven't attended one, do so uh, absolutely and talking of uh, attending film festivals Paul uh, I, I informed you yesterday that little humble uh, hometown of mine Cheltenham is getting its own international film festival so the uh, publicity blurb goes SIF uh, or CIFF uh, Cheltenham International Film Festival is going to launch in May of next year and um, already they've confirmed things like Kristen Scott Thomas' uh, debut feature film as director is going to show there. Uh, some interesting stuff in terms of like canonical work from established directors, uh, older films and sort of classics in their own right. I mean, no pressure here, Pete, but could you get them on the uh, show? I'll get Kristen Scott Thomas on this show. No problem, <laughs> yeah, sir. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, and then in addition to that, I think a bit like you're talking about, Paul, with Exit 6, like being a real... Um, showground for like emergent talent uh, young talent and all, all kinds of filmmakers making their way as well i think the cheltenham film festival is is intending to to fulfill a sort of similar function in this town so yeah look forward to it man like it sounds as if they're going relatively big because obviously the the town already has like a jazz festival and music festival and those other things the literature festival to to sort of set the bar so i think this film festival wants to establish itself at something like that level maybe eventually that certainly won't be the 
first year straight out the gate but hopefully we can cover the 2019 uh, effort on this show and and it and it'll be sort of the signaler of of good things to come so yeah another one another one add, to add to the 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 nation's well, growing film festivals Bath film festivals imminent as well so that looks quite interesting i think they've got they've got previews of um the new Yorgos Lanthimos film which i've completely forgotten the name of Olivia Coleman in uh, and wildlife as well so two highlights there yeah yeah so i'll try and attend some screens yeah so that, so, so good things good. to come on on uh, both sides i guess uh, of this conversation but um paul you were going to talk about as well a star is born which uh, obviously didn't play at the film festival in, in basingstoke but you've caught up with recently and i haven't unfortunately because i'm sort of catching up with various other things uh tell us about that or tell me about that man because uh i'm yeah keen. so yeah, so Star is Born is something that I was fairly keen on, I have to say. I think I'd, I'd like, when Bradley Cooper's on good form, I think he's, he's a good actor. I was very intrigued to see um, Lady Gaga's turn because I'd read a lot of... This film has been hyped, shall we say, with a capital hype, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I think that the, the performances are great here. The music, for the most part, is, is pretty good, I think. That's not all to my taste, but it's still very effective at what the film's doing. But overall, the film left me a little bit cold, Pete. If I'm honest, I just for me it ran a little bit. It ran a little bit too long, um, and I don't think one of one of my biggest problems with the film is I don't think the passing of time is particularly well handled. So you have no real. I mean, you, you're kind of told that certain things are happening with with um, Lady Gaga's character's musical career or Ali, as she's called in this, with Ali's musical career. But you don't really have that effective time span of of when Bradley Cooper. I mean, if you've if you've seen the trailer, you can probably get guess where this is going. You have one person, Bradley Cooper's famous, his star begins to wane, Lady Gaga's star begins to rise. And I think that's part of the other problem with the film is it's, it's quite formulaic. I think it's it's a solid enough film, and I think it shows promise for Bradley Cooper as a filmmaker, but it's he's not deserving of the hype he's got for this film as a director yet. I think in maybe in a few years down the line, that's great, but I just... For me, I don't really get the hype here. I think it's it's solid. It's okay. Um, it's it's more than okay. It's likable enough. But the other problem, Pete, is I have is I've already seen a film this year where two musicians, a love story about two musicians, and that film is a film that I won't shut up about, and that's Cold War. Right. <laughs> so yeah, standards so yeah. high. Um, yeah. Um, I do. I do like the fact that we've had an insight into the like. Um, grading system that you have for movies because we have more than okay but above more than okay is likable enough that's the next run yes, on that ladder it, yeah. up to greatness yeah. and, and obviously cold war is somewhere right at the top of that thing yeah no i think yeah what, what i'm saying is, is it's a good film but i don't think it's a great one that's probably what I'm, what I'm trying to say there. Cool. Well, I'll uh, I'll throw my two cents worth in as soon as I've had a chance to see it on a future episode, I'm sure. Um, I've got a couple myself, Paul, from films I've managed to see recently, that now that I've got back on the, the film-watching train, really. Um, the first one, not not much needed for this one. I re-watched the movie uh, Suicide Squad. Now, we're going to do a countdown today, Paul, and the countdown is going to be about terrible, terrible comic book movies. Uh, excuse me, superhero movies, I should say. Uh, Suicide Squad could possibly trouble that list although I do think that there are a few things watching it back that I still maintain are good about this film I know you don't really agree but I like the the Margot Robbie depiction of Harlequin I think it's pretty good I think it's about as good as you could have hoped for from someone doing that 
that role. And given the sort of direction and tone of this thing as a whole, um, I don't like the the Jared Leto Joker character. I just think it's overdone. He's trying far too hard, and he's in the shadow of Heath Ledger, and that's not his fault. But but yeah, I'd kind of lean into that idea. Um, the, the the film as a whole, we've talked about it already on the show, Paul. So I don't really need to rehash everything. But like, it it does feel like it's been put together by uh, you know like focus groups and um, and committees and stuff like that, rather than like a single vision. And I think that might actually reflect the way the thing came into being. And also like the the whatever she's called, Cara Delevingne's character, the the uh, sorceress or something like that. I don't know. Enchantress, the the way that the like we've got this band of like outlaws and their thing is to try and save the world from the apocalypse and this all comes down to Cara Delevingne belly dancing as a load of CGI swirls around the air is just disappointing and I think the biggest like the biggest downer about Suicide Squad, given that I like some of the individual characters setting aside the basically racist Mexican character who is just like a walking cliche throughout Diablo. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the, <laughs> the thing that is most damning about a movie like this is when you can say that it's boring and big parts of Suicide Squad are boring. And it's unfortunate also, uh, again, as we've touched on in the past, that like the decision was made to try and cash in as much as possible on a wide audience. So we've taken all the teeth out of the thing so that you can't show any blood and the violence is sort of like slightly not there or not like depicted in a way that I think does justice to a squad of people who are supposed to be so inherently like on the edge of society and and crazed and, and bad. It all feels a bit sanitized and that's a shame. Um, I will move on though, Paul to a newer movie i have caught up with the new one from the machine of money making that is kevin hart um alongside tiffany haddish this one is night i was quite excited for this because it's kevin hart and tiffany haddish and i thought what could go wrong does it work well uh, first of all to say this is the first full heartbeat productions joint this is uh kevin hart's uh, sort of what what's the word for it? Like a uh, new new birthed uh, production company, I guess. Um, he's realised he's got too much money and wants to spend some of it. Well, <laughs> t- to be fair, okay. So th- there's a nice little tie-in that I can do here. Watching Night School, which is this story about a group of a uh, kind of misfits, kind of. Um, has beans or have never beans uh kind of bonding in this night school class trying to give themselves uh, another shot at success you're reminded of a much greater movie um that is called the breakfast club paul and um funnily enough kevin hart and tiffany haddish appeared on the hip-hop radio show also called the breakfast club recently um which is this show where a a lot of uh, hip-hop folk lumen reason and other celebrities go in and talk about stuff that's going on mostly in hip-hop and in music and entertainment at the time and on that kevin hart did a really good job of putting across the point that what he's doing is not just getting to the top and then counting his money. He's got to the top and now he's pulling other people up. And one of the people that he's pulling up here clearly is Tiffany Haddish, who has now got this incredibly widely viewed platform for her talents. Unfortunately though, Paul, because she's an actress that we both have sort of praised so much, particularly from Girls Trip, 
it's a shame she's actually off screen for quite a lot of this movie. Okay. And then so she plays the she plays the night school teacher, and you think you're going to get like you know in Community you have like uh, the the Spanish teacher played by the Asian actor that I can't remember the name. Ken Jeong, isn't it? Ken Jeong, yeah, that's right. The Ken Jeong character who's like a bit unhinged and weird and gets by because he's in Community <laughs> College, not in like regular college. And here you think, well, T- Tiffany Haddish is going to really go at it, like go up to eleven as she's known for doing. But she rarely gets the opportunity to do that because quite a lot of the movie wants to have it both ways and play a kind of like sensitive story about second chances and about uh, developmental or learning difficulty uh, related issues and that kind of thing. Uh, Because uh, for what it's worth, Kevin Hart's character uh, has everything kind of. He's a head salesman at a barbecue joint and he's going to propose to what he admits is a, a woman way out of his league. But then just as he's doing the proposal, he pops a champagne cork, which ignites a gas fire, which destroys the barbecue joint and his future hopes of love and his career. And so like he ends up having to try and rebuild his life from there. There's loads of potential here, but you're just reminded of kind of better things. And I don't want to be horrible, Paul, because you know that I like Kevin Hart uh, enough, uh, more than I think a lot of people. Uh, well, you convinced me that Kevin Hart was worth it. Right, so. <laughs> but I think that even like with that having been said, when one of your takeaways from a movie is, ah, oh, this reminds me of some of the better Kevin Hart movies, that really is is sort of damning because the bar for a Kevin Hart movie is relatively low, regardless of whether I think that they're better than people say, you know, they're still not classics uh, as far as I'm concerned. So (laughs) yeah, Night School, it's a shame, man. You said about um, A Star Is Born, it runs too long. This runs 111 minutes, which is far, far too long for a comedy of this sort. Too much of it feels like you're waiting to laugh. I would say total laughs in this film two from me and and I'm I'm already on side with these guys particularly Tiffany Haddish and I don't think it's either of them actually that has the best lines in the film so something's gone wrong in terms of bringing this thing to screen and scripting having said that it smashed the box office at the weekend uh, particularly in America so Kevin Hart will be back he's doing just fine Tiffany Haddish will do better work Uh, shame this one is a bit of a damp squib really Um, I will wrap up, Paul, with uh, one that is not a damp squib by any stretch, and that is the film The Hate You Give, which I caught yesterday, um, slightly ahead of its general release, uh, 22nd, I should say, of October in the UK, is the general release of this one. Um, I didn't know a great deal about it going in. Are you anticipating or are you excited about this movie Paul? Uh, I've seen the trailer I have to say I, this trailer didn't strike me as a film that I would rush out to go and see and I think as I said to you uh, off air it almost seems like a bit like Fruitvale Station the junior novelization. I think my concern was a the uh, a the use of single letters in the film title uh, and yeah and I just thought it looked possibly aimed more of uh, aimed at more of a sort of young adult market than squarely at adults but that that being said you know I've, I've only seen the trailer so um, I am aware of it what did you think so it sounds like you liked it a lot yeah man like so the, first of all to address one of your points yes there's a single letter in the title but there is a good uh, sort of established reason for that which is that of course the hate you give is the acronym is uh, thug 
and then of course uh, Thug Life. I was not aware of that. Th- th- <laughs> Thug enough. Life, T H U G L I F E, is uh, the hate you give uh, little infants fucks everyone or f's everyone as they revert to it in the movie, which was this thing that was famously said by Tupac Shakur when uh, challenged about the fact that he was both advocating sort of peace and progression between communities and at the same time had on his body tattooed in capital letters thug life which seemed to be promoting you know gang violence and 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 murder and that kind of thing and so yeah he said that it's actually a representation of this idea the hate you give little infants fucks everyone and the central character in this uh, story is a girl played sensationally poor by uh, amandla stenberg uh, it's Amandla, incidentally, not Amanda, regardless of how many people can't be fucked to uh, actually write her name properly when writing about this this movie. Uh, she plays this girl who is in her teens, although we catch up with her at the beginning of the movie as a nine-year-old, being taught by her father exactly, this is around the dinner table, exactly what we do when we get stopped by the police. And so he runs his kids through this process, this procedure of put your hands on the dash, don't make any sudden movements. Don't say anything smart. So she's got this drilled into her. And we know if we've seen the trailer or if we you know, understand sort of foreshadowing in any sense that <laughs> there is going to be an incident where this sort of training uh, from her dad comes back into her mind. And of course, this occurs when there is a police shooting of a, a friend of hers that she's in a car with after a party. And the film deals with her trying to process the world in which she lives and it's very much concerned with this kind of dualism of self so she has been sent by her mother with her uh, stepbrother to go to or half-brother perhaps to go to the kind of school on the right side of the tracks prior to any of the the drama that I've just mentioned in order to basically stay out of trouble and stay away from uh, the neighborhood in which he lives which is essentially the ghetto right um, but she has this this dualism, as I say, in her mind between not wanting to be too hood when she's in that school, but not wanting to be too much that school when she's in the hood. So she's constantly yeah. having to sort of switch her persona and gets lost in a sort of middle ground where she doesn't really know who she is anymore. Um, as I say, it's a terrific, terrific central performance. There are also good supporting performances from people like um common uh it shows up in this he his character is interesting because he plays a cop but he's a cop who is her uncle so there's this other right. sort of um uh so he's kind of torn between the two exactly yeah and there's a there's a i think really well played scene where he tries to explain what a police officer feels when they approach an individual who may or may okay. not have a weapon that's and a, that's a slightly different take on it yeah. right so it isn't like yes i've i've read reviews where people say this is you know sort of uh, leaning into di- being didactic and sort of preachy about its mes- message Paul. but i think that is almost to me not a criticism here because this felt like a movie it's a 12 certificate i believe a movie that could be shown in schools to give people a better more rounded understanding of these kinds of situations whether you're you know black or white or whatever i I think the message is important the last thing i want to say about this paul and i don't want to like sound sort of ranty or whatever but 
I went to the the secret screenings, the one of the secret screenings that you're very familiar with, right? That um, the that one of the cinema chains movies, does, yeah. yeah. And you don't know what the movie's going to be, and then the title card comes up, and some people are be really happy. Sometimes there's little whoops. Sometimes people are disappointed. Sometimes you hear groans. When the movie's title came up, and then I would say during the first ten to fifteen minutes of this thing, uh, which is a film that is all about the lives of African-American youth, essentially, and the African-American community in the States. We had, I would say, fully a quarter of the audience leave the cinema. And I I feel like maybe this is too localised for, for putting out on a show like this, but like I live in a town that is very, very predominantly white. And it is... Yes, Cheltenham, it, Cheltenham is definitely it, white. It's, yeah. it's changing a little bit, Paul, but it's just a fucking disappointment that people couldn't sit there for an hour and a half that they've already blocked out of their time to take in a movie like this. It reminded me a bit of when we went to see uh, Love, Simon and you had a certain amount of walkouts because people realised that this was about, you know, teenage life and uh, coming out as a, as a gay guy. And so I guess that turned a few people off, but nothing like what I saw here. And I just thought, this is a fucking sad indictment of, of our town. If a- Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily just that though, because you go to the, the Odeon do the same thing in Bath and there is, I suppose there's not, there's never that many people walk out at least, but there is always some people that walk out no matter what the yeah, but this, but this scenes, was but... palpably a lot okay. of people where I, right. I just felt like leave those tickets for somebody else then. Like, I think yeah. if you commit, commit, you know, watch whatever it is. I don't care. The only thing I'd said going in to, to my fiance was like, if this is Goosebumps 2, which was one of the possibilities, yeah. I may leave. But to be honest, Paul, I think I would have just stuck it out because Jack Black's good fun, isn't he? So, yeah. Well, you're there anyway, aren't Exactly, so, yeah, exactly. Just... I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, I wasn't overly impressed when Love, Simon rolled up because I was one of those people that nearly left. But then actually, as you, as, as you anyone listened to our review, I actually warmed to that film. I was ready to hate that film and I warmed to it as it went along. So, yeah, yeah but, you know, what's the point? You may as well stay once you're there. But, yeah, I, I've, <laughs> I've talked too long about this one, but with good reason, Paul, and I'd like to come back to it on the show if we can i think that if you know particularly for the the proportion of the audience this year who are too young to go to or watch uh, black klansman this is the movie of the year dealing with race relations particularly in america but i think worldwide and i think it's it's really really good piece of work and i hope people get to see it uh, in due course right Let's get out of this section, Paul, because we're going to come back in a minute with a review that's going to go completely in a different direction. That is our feature review of Venom. Yes, so back we are with our review of my one of my least anticipated films of the year, uh, Ruben Fleischer's Venom, starring Tom Hardy and Riz Ahmed and your favourite, uh, Pete Michelle Williams. Um, so yeah, so this is the film that apparently is supposed to set, I don't know how many times we've had films supposedly the first part of setting up some more expanded universe stuff. So this is the first film, bear with me here, the first film that sets up Sony's non-Marvel, Marvel Spider-Verse, but Spider-Verse without Spider-Man in it because Spider-Man's being shared between Sony and Marvel at the moment. Very, very well done. Rather you than me to to say that. Right. (laughs) There we go. Um, That's, that I think is what, I think that's what, that is what it's setting up. Uh, Pete, I've managed that. You need to set up the film now. (laughs) Yeah, man. I just wanted to say from the, uh, from the sort of layman's perspective is where certainly I come, uh, come at this thing. And, uh, 
the thing that struck me going into Venom was with not really any expectations, I don't think good or bad, but was the fact that it had that usual comic book flip book thing that they do when it says Marvel Studios, but then it said in association with Marvel yes. Studios <laughs> and then had the production card for, for Sony Pictures or whatever. So, yeah, weird. It automatically felt a bit weird going in. So what we get here is the story of uh, the character Eddie Brock, um, who has uh, been working as a sort of investigative vlogger, vlogger, um, making these videos exposing corruption in the city. Originally, he was working, I believe, in New York, and now he's moved on to work in San Francisco. He's living there with his partner, played by Michelle Williams. Of course, this character is played by uh, Tom Hardy, I should say. His partner, Michelle Williams, who works as some sort of legal secretary, I believe. Is that accurate, Paul? Yes, I think she is. I think, yeah, she's a legal secretary. I'm fairly confident she is, although I can't quite remember her exact she job She works title. in a, a legal position of some kind. Uh, and so oh, yeah, no, she works in the legal ex- offices, doesn't she? Because his because his his actions ruin her career. Yes, that's important. Yeah. So uh, as you would expect with a film entitled Venom, that is about a superhero. This isn't just going to be a domestic study of the lives of two you know fairly young professionals living in San Francisco, because what we've got is a spacecraft that is returning from an investigative journey into uh, the the universe to try to find some sort of alien um, life. Form, although they don't call it alien, do they, Paul? They call it the uh, the the symbiote. No, they don't even call it the symbiote at that point because that's when it connects with someone. It's a it's a blob that looks a bit like the blob that was in life because this film like feels like it could be a sort of. Well, there was rumor that life might. Yeah, yeah. there was rumor that life might have been a Venom prequel, but they haven't gone down that route. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, right. And, and that yes. and that totally figures because you've got this kind of amorphous blob, or I think four of them. They uh, crash land back on Earth. Three of them are accounted for. One of them is. Not not that sets off a course of events which doesn't immediately lead to Tom Hardy becoming Venom but you know that's where we're going before that we get a bit of uh, infected Asian lady eating snakes and stabby stabbing people which quite enjoyed uh, but she takes at least a month to get to the airport before <laughs> true true <laughs> just, just by the way which is one of the film's many problems but, but effectively <laughs> yeah. then what we've got is this um, kind of you know think of like John Carpenter's The Thing or something or even like It Follows or something where people are infected and when they're infected they take on a, a, a sort of raft of different abilities and qualities that make them stronger more capable and you know very able able to sort of bite people's heads off um, Tom Hardy therefore has this sort of ongoing internal dialogue between himself the uh, Eddie Brock himself and this symbiotic venom figure who is now a part of him it almost felt at times as well like the relationship was a bit like um edward norton and brad pitt in fight club with the tyler durden thing um that all sounds quite good doesn't it paul uh then what we get is uh, however they want to handle doing a superhero film and as we know and as we will talk about later on this show paul uh, that can go very well or it can go very badly now my hot take is that a lot of this movie goes very badly but i want to get your opinion first of all before we get into uh, any more detail what's your general take on venom should we have should we have a clip first oh okay yeah we'll set up a little <laughs> clip and then we'll get back yeah. to that here's a clip <laughs> hey eddie who the hell is this guy i'm gonna need mr drake's property back oh what are you doing i'm putting my hands up 
Take him down. So just to give some context to the Venom character that you may not be aware of, Pete, as I said, he is closely associated to Spider-Man. And stop me if you are. He's a, a villain. Um, Eddie Brock and Venom are a villain in the Spider-Man comics. Um, although there is some grey area to, to Venom and Eddie Brock's villainous, villainosity. That's definitely not a word. <laughs> Villainousness, shall we say. Um, and for me, to, to start with, part of the reason that, that Venom works in the Spider-Man comics is that Venom is fascinated with Eddie Bro is fascinated with Spider-Man because Spider-Man is a human with powers. Uh, and Eddie Brock is an investigative journalist who knows a lot about Spider-Man. So therefore, Venom becomes fascinated with the Eddie Brock character. So that, to me, makes sense as to why this super powerful alien symbiote would be interested in a character such as Eddie Brock. Um, in this film, none of that is there. And I think that's probably the part of that. So that, therefore, that's that's an immediate problem for me. But it, that's fine. If you want to retcon in and make, make films your own, make films your own, then that's fine. Uh, but my initial problem with this, and a lot of people have spoken quite highly about Tom Hardy's performance. Um, I don't really agree. I, I think it was all over the place. And I don't really buy... Tom Hardy as an investigative journalist. Pete, where do you stand on this? It just well, it doesn't strike me as... Yeah, I mean, in the world of superhero movies, we have to suspend a lot of disbelief about said character, whoever it is, being said role in society, because often it seems like sort of surface level at, at best. I, I think, like, I go slightly maybe against the tide in terms of what I've read, that I quite enjoyed the first third of this movie which is okay. the third that i know sort of elsewhere has been described as incredibly dull and, and boring and stuff like that and what you're saying about about hardy as, as eddie brock like i think yeah i don't know i sort of liked the way it was shot and i sort of liked the the build of the movie and i think my problems with venom are more so in what happens after he becomes venom the beforehand apart from the fact that like michelle williams has got really off-putting hair in this um i i enjoyed that part so yeah i think you're more you're you've got more criticism in the first third maybe than than i do i mean I, i'm just going to cut to the chase i really didn't like this film at all it's narrowly i mean it's only because there's such other other such really really shitty films uh that it hasn't made my top the top five or bottom five superhero films list that we're doing next I just think there was there was for a superhero film there was nothing here that hasn't been done before. I just thought we'd we've how many origins movies do we actually need to see of characters? Like can we not, we've got to the point now where the origins movies kind of make sense for when you were trying to roll out superhero films to the masses where you were where companies were a bit worried that people wouldn't engage with superheroes. So you almost need to give them an origin story. We've had enough superhero films now and they've grossed enough money that people will just accept that these characters exist. And I just think this just it ju it was just a boring origins film that he, with stuff that he just didn't really care about in. Um, I did. I said I didn't like Tom Hardy. I thought Riz Ahmed's villain. I thought Riz Ahmed just seemed bored by this whole thing. He's a much more talented actor than he's than the role he's given here. And also, if you you talk about the first third, it's okay. The second the the second act is a mess, and the third act just suddenly appears out of nowhere, and you just got this great big CGI shite fest fight at the end that has no weight to it at all because it feels to me there's a good half an hour of this film missing. I it just suddenly it was almost like I woke up out of a coma and suddenly 
suddenly Venom and Riot were fighting on a spaceship and then the film finished. Mm. I'm just like, no, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose in defence of a $100 million movie that is quite bad, uh, Tom Hardy has said that the reason he took this role or the, the, the primary reason he took this role is because his son is a fan of the Venom character and apparently yeah. to the point that his son almost gave him like notes on how he should perform this character because he, Tom Hardy himself didn't know a lot about Venom going in. So from that point of view, you know, when you hear actors, they did a piece of work and they've done it for their kid so that they can enjoy it and he said oh, I can do a movie for my kid where I can still bite people's heads off that's kind of cool like I get that yeah, I don't think necessarily think Tom Hardy's the problem here I think there's just the film in general is the problem it's just yeah. you said it's yeah it's it, a mess it's, it's it, a shame it isn't any, it it doesn't go anywhere it's a shame isn't it because I think t- yeah Tom Hardy I think is a talented actor I'm not the first person to say it I mean Michelle Williams is, is wasted and has almost nothing to do here uh, Jenny Slate who's getting interesting roles recently um, completely wasted here. kind completely. of kind of wasted as much as I like her every time I see on screen it's it's a shame and then I just think like you said Paul once it just devolves as a lot of superhero movies tend to do I guess over the years but into just like CGI fireworks um, I just it loses any grounding like the film it makes an effort to ground this thing somewhat in the sort of real world and the day to day of this guy and investigating corruption and yeah Riz Ahmed as I think you wrote in a review Paul it looks like he's sort of half asleep uh, performing yeah. the, the big bad role in this thing so you think like how bad is this guy where he looks like he can barely be bothered to make his way to the end of the scene and so the whole thing goes from being sort of quite grounded and building towards something interesting to oh we're just doing this again and it's you know characters that look like spawn or something i i i don't know like because i have no investment in the in the character to begin with in the venom character i i guess Uh, Maybe I come from a different perspective, but like Venom to me doesn't seem, at least on this evidence, like a particularly interesting character to to pursue. At least because when we actually try and manifest Venom on stage, uh, sorry, on screen, it's so ridiculous. Like it just seems so ridiculous that... And and, uh, finally, Paul, what did you think of the fact that the movie is kind of like dead serious for about two thirds? And then like you said, in the third act, coming from nowhere, in the third act, it suddenly goes, oh no, this is like Deadpool. This is like high camp Deadpool where... Well, it's interesting you say it because I, th- I think, and I don't know this any certainty, I think we've got the uncut version over here and the US version, because it's a 15 BVFC certificate over here. The US version is, uh, I think, the equivalent of a 12A over there. So I don't know. I, I think we may have a different version to the ones that released in the US. And someone said, oh, it's, it's un- I read somewhere it might be uncut in the UK. But then where's the rest of the film? Like, the, just for me, there's big swathes of the film missing. And I think, you know, I can... I can I could stomach it more if there wasn't just bits of the film missing and people don't well and then you've got people I don't I don't understand why anyone with any interest in film could really like this because it's just such a mess I don't it doesn't go anywhere there's no uh, Tom Hardy's performance fine it's okay but again it's just you know, do you know what I mean it, it seems to jump from the middle section where Riz Ahmed's talking about doing things and then suddenly Riz Ahmed's the symbiote and then suddenly you're on the side of the spaceship and it's over I don't get it you know the movie I, I want I, this... Paul the movie I want is the movie about the Asian lady at the beginning who gets uh, symbiotic. the whole month it took her to get to the airport infected yeah but I just want a movie about <laughs> her that was like badass where she went into that uh, market scene and she started eating a raw like living snake like to me that's venom I don't really get what the, like and again I am stand to be corrected. I won't be that bothered about being corrected, but I do stand to be corrected. I don't really get the Venom character because the, where's the Venom? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no Venom to Venom. 
what what's the venom element? There's, it's not a well, it's not a snake. He doesn't spit venom. What's the ven- what's venom? It's a cool name. Yeah, right. But that's it. But I get but it. Also, but, but Spider-Man, yeah, really Paul. Fil- Spider-Man, yeah. he's a spider combined with a man. Batman, he's a bat combined with a man. You know, Superman, he's a man. He's super. In this case, Venom, he's a but guy... But this is my point. Venom Venom isn't... Venom always played off Spider-Man in the Spider-Man comics. I don't think he's necessarily a character that deserves his own film. But he's not really a character that, that makes sense either. He's like a functioning schizophrenic that then turns into like CGI dust at the drop of the hat. Like, I don't know, dude. Like I, I, like I said, going in, I didn't have particularly high or low expectations. Coming out, I thought like there were fragments of a good thing here, but largely I'm just going to forget this in like a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I really, really dislike this film for the reasons that I've just repeated myself about eight times over. Oh, hey, man. When I get angry about to, film. But, to, talking um, about films that you really dislike... Do you want to do like a whole top five about absolutely terrible superhero yes, movies? Yes, let's find let's find five worse superhero movies than Venom. Cool, uh, that'll make us feel better about this movie. So. Yeah, and let's and let's do that after that little bit of music that everyone loves. So. We are back, Paul, for our regular weekly, although recently sort of bi-weekly, a top five. And this week's top five is not really a top five as much as it is a bottom five, but let's say it's the top five worst superhero movies ever. Um, Have you got any particular explanation for your list before we get going or any caveats that you want to throw out about how you went about picking Um, this thing? No, not really. I would say that some of these actually... I wouldn't say, I mean, they are all dreadful. Some of them would probably push to the so bad they're funny category, but I wouldn't say they're so bad they're good. So I wouldn't, there's some of these I would say that people shouldn't necessarily avoid, but I will get to that when we talk about them. So some of them need to be seen if you haven't seen them. <laughs> put that on the, they're so bad dude, they're put, funny. But. Put that on the, on the, on the DVD uh, box uh, <laughs> quote, like, you shouldn't necessarily avoid this. <laughs> Yeah. Shall I shall I kick us off with an absolute stinger? Go on. Okay. Uh, Paul, do, cast your mind back to the year 1996. Uh, at that time, I think I were a 12-year-old boy, Paul. 12-year-old boy. And Could I try and guess this from the year? You can, sir. You certainly can. Is it Spawn? It is not Spawn. Oh, so, uh, it might be later, here's 1996, I and I hear, I hear murmurings of a movie that seems like all of my dreams come true. We've got uh, Cleavage... We've got guns, we've got excessive violence, we've got kind of like oh, like fetish wear, and we have <laughs> yeah. Paul CJ from Baywatch in her own ass-kicking action superhero movie. Paul, this is the movie Barbed Wire. Um, first of all, have you seen Barbed Wire? Look, in 1996, I was also a teenager. Of course I've fucking seen Barbed Wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay... I had it on VHS. <laughs> okay, let's talk about barbed wire for a second. So th- this movie, first of all, is set during the Second American Civil War. Remember that? Remember when that happened? I'll tell you when it happened, Paul. It happened in the distant future of 2017. Remember just last year, actually, it happened. Um, and so barbed wire, the Pamela Anderson character, is here uh, the owner of a bar who gets dragged into the criminal underworld because her ex-lover is back on the scene. My anticipation levels, as I have mentioned, were very, very high. This and uh, Cindy Crawford being in that movie Fair Game, it was probably all I thought about for a good year of (laughs) of my uh, adolescence there. Uh, But, well, no, before I say but, Paul, 
the the butt is going to be obvious. There's a lot of butt in this movie, Paul. Uh, <laughs> Pamela Anderson can act a little bit. Like it would be it would be churlish to say that this is just a terrible performance from her. I don't think it is. It's not too bad. Uh, she's game here. She clearly wants to be making like a kind of high camp action movie that this should be right this should yeah. be that it, it it doesn't always go that way um the filmmaking isn't terrible either given that this is an action movie in 1996 in in a real strange point in the development of sort of action cinema i think um and at times it's self-aware from a script point of view like at one point um when Barb has to rescue a female from a high building she uh says to her have you ever seen Batman? And then um, use a, uses a grappling hook to gra- like repel them down the building to safety. So this kind of thing is like the movie self-aware. It should be just this self-aware sort of knockabout fun thing. However, the whole thing is shot like... Um, you remember Shannon Tweed, Paul, as if I need to ask? No, not a clue. <laughs> right. So, so there's a particular <laughs> type of movie that I'm going to call the Shannon Tweed movie that was made in the mid-90s, which was based around two key things. Those are soft focus and saxophone music. That's sax, Paul. And uh, what we get here is like every time a scene begins, we'll have kind of soft focus. We'll have some probably saxophone music, some sultry lounge jazz. And then uh, Pammy Anderson will walk into the room, at which point there will be really clunking dialogue that is sort of like flirty slash edgy slash just like god awful. At which point she will deal with like some, you know, faceless gangsters or, or whatever at the, the time. Also, by the way, this is a character who wears essentially fetish wear throughout the movie, including around her choker or connected to her choker, a giant silver metal ring, which I'm going to say probably yes. <laughs> isn't the best idea for hand-to-hand combat um, i don't know if, if many like cage fighters have got metal rings around their necks just in case you want to grab onto that and, and give yourself an advantage um also the barbed wire character is the the propulsion behind this character is that she's just trying to get to canada and one of her big calling cards is asking for all her criminal dealings to be paid in canadian dollars which has got to be like the first movie ever where the end goal is just get to Canada. Um, I think what what you've managed to do there, Pete, is probably give us the longest deconstruction of barbed wire ever committed to a piece of film journalism. But, but I can't I can't leave I can't leave without saying that the the big bad in this thing is called Big Fatso. Um, so That's, so here's the thing. Here's the thing, man. Mo- and don't call her babe, Pete. Do not do call not her call her babe because she will end you. After, she'll it's end feminist. you after being a little bit sexy. But most of this movie's on YouTube, so have at it, player. Um, Paul, what have you got at number five? Uh, I've got uh, at number five. I've got Blade Trinity from two thousand and four. Um, I cannot put into words the sense of disappointment myself and my housemate had when we came out of Blade Trinity because we both loved Blade One, we both loved Blade Two, and we we're like, okay, it's a third Blade film. I remember reading Empire magazine. I think they gave it one star, and we we're like, nope, it's a Blade film. It can't possibly be that bad. How wrong I was. Um, yeah, this time Wesley Snipes' Blade is joined. And also, also we'd read the fact that Dracula was going to be the villain this time round. Uh, we weren't aware of Dominic Purcell at the time. Um, had we been aware of Dominic Purcell, we'd have said he's probably not the best choice to play the uh, absolutely um, the, the seminal screen villain of Dracula. That's right. Dominic Purcell plays Dracula in Blade Trinity. What the fuck? 
so this time round, Wesley Snipes is joined by Jessica Biel and uh, young Ryan Reynolds. Um, and uh, yeah, it doesn't go too well for anyone, um, in all honesty. They seem to forget that um, uh, Wesley Snipes is probably funny enough in the first two Blade films. Uh, and for me, lean too heavily on the new characters. Um, it may well be because uh, Blade, um, Blade, Wesley Snipes was incredibly difficult to work with on set. Um, have you seen Patton Oswalt's interview about working on Blade Trinity Peaks? If you haven't, think so. it's amazing. Uh, I think he kind of wrote things on post. Wesley Snipes like wrote things on post-it notes and said from Blade and this kind of thing. So uh, yeah, he, I don't think he he got on very well with anyone on stage. I'm pretty sure Ryan Reynolds has refused to work with him point blank ever again. Um, and it, Triple H is in this as a villain. The rest of the Triple H just. It's just like, I can imagine Blade Trinity is the kind of film that everyone thought the first Blade would be, and then the first Blade turned out to be actually quite good. Um, nothing really here works. Dominic Purcell is is not the greatest actor of his generation by a long stretch. I'm sure he probably would admit the same thing himself, uh, and he's certainly not good enough to play Dracula. Uh, the one redeeming feature, and excuse the language here, listeners, is Ryan Reynolds' line, the cock-goggling cock, cock thundercunt, I think is the... Uh, I think is the um, the insult uh, that's up there with one of the greatest one-liners Ryan Reynolds has ever delivered, and that is the only redeeming feature about this film. Uh, that's Blade Trinity at number five. Yeah, and and like we have got the uh, explicit content uh, listing on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yes. Right, Paul. Um, do you remember what you were doing in two thousand and four? when uh, a shy woman endowed with the speed, reflexes and senses of a cat walked a thin line between criminal and hero. Because... Uh, I was watching Blade Trinity <laughs> while you were watching Catwoman from the sounds of it. Yeah, so number four for me is Catwoman. Now, yeah, I stick the boot in on a thing that everybody's already stuck the boot into. Uh, so this didn't get higher on my list. And it didn't get higher on my list for the reason that um, I actually think that it, it's quite easy to sort of hate on Catwoman because it's shit, Paul. It's really shit. But, but... I think Halle Berry um, went into this with sort of the best of intentions. So I think that we shouldn't be too harsh on her. Uh, do you remember who directed this movie, Paul, without looking it up? Pitoff. Have you looked it up, Paul? Uh, no. You leaned I into was, your no, screen no, at no, that no, moment. No, 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 you can know. I will credit Screen Junkies with this because I was doing a run of Honest Trailers, I as often do, and it rolled over into the Honest Trailer for Catwoman. And that's right. when they, they kind of they take the piss out of the fact it's directed by a man that goes by the name of Pitoff. Well, yes, our boy, <laughs> one of our boys on this show, Pitoff, Paul, before <laughs> before getting to helm Catwoman, he had, he had helmed one movie, Paul, one movie called Vidoc in 2001 uh, with Gerard Depardieu. And I guess, and, and Guillaume Canet, I guess there must have been in, industry shenanigans that landed him the job as the director of Catwoman because the thing is sort of directed like... Uh, sort of a perfume commercial meets a music video and um, also telling Paul that the, the sort of main antagonist in the movie uh, played by Sharon Stone is a woman who's hell-bent on a master plan that involves dealing evil makeup um, this makeup is used by her personally because she fears that she might look old. It's almost as if that could come over a little bit sexist, Paul. It's almost also the case that every time, including the establishing shots of Catwoman, every time Halle Berry walks on screen, what the director is interested in, one thing only, Paul, is like 
Look at Halle Berry in this costume. She looks fucking amazing. And she does, Paul. She really does. But when you've just abandoned trying to sell, like, tell your story because all you want to do is gawp at like the arse and body of your protagonist, I think that it's a problem. And you know what else is a problem in this movie? Stuff like the scene where she goes into a nightclub and orders a white Russian holding all elements except for the cream and then goes off to the dance floor <laughs> drinking cream from a glass it just feels embarrassing it feels like what they did with like charlie's angels full throttle or like that kind of level of just silly music video movie and what else have i got to add here not a great deal um yeah all of it oh and also and this is a thing that probably no one else has commented on i, I guess but at certain points of the movie why is why are the trousers to her costume like so sort of strangely ill-fitting or loose when the top is like a second skin i don't really get it but yeah catwoman doesn't work it's not a good movie but i don't think it's the worst superhero movie ever made and that's why it makes number four what's number four for you paul uh, number four is a film that i thought came out in 1996 when i mentioned to you earlier it didn't it came out in 1997 which as further up my list will prove to be a very bad year for superhero films um this is spawn um so yeah, Spawn is a comic book character I'm quite familiar with because I've read quite a lot of Spawn. Uh, created by Todd McFarlane, I think, or I believe left Marvel because he wanted to go in a slightly darker direction than Marvel. And Spawn is about as dark as it comes. Um, if I remember rightly, he's a, he's a military veteran who uh, has a chance to sell his soul to Satan to save, to save the people that he loves. Um, he gets conned by Satan and ends up becoming a Hellspawn. Uh, and he wants his revenge against Satan and fights against lots and lots of very, very, very dark and twisted uh, demons and satanic creatures. The comic book is fantastic. The film is not. Um, it just fails to grasp, really, the, the darkness of Spawn. It looks like it was made for about 50p. The special effects are absolutely terrible. You've got this creepy sort of dude, larger dude, than can, life. Dude, can I, can I just jump in? You know the director yeah. of this is, is a guy called Mark Depay. Do you know that he worked in the visual effects department on like Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park? Wow. So he was like this no, super big name in special effects. And I, I'm only jumping on board your one not to, to get in the way. No, no, go for but it. But because I'm going to change mine. I, basically, Spawn is my number two. But I'm going to make it number right. three and then I won't come back to it later later on. So, yeah, just to okay. say, like <laughs> the caliber of the guy's special effects resume is, is so great that it is baffling that the special effects in this movie are all over the shop. But carry on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the diary, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, CGI's aged in certain films, but, you know, this is after Jurassic Park, for God's sake. This is four years after Jurassic Park. So, uh, yeah, you should expect a lot more from this. And again, I just think it's it's a fundamental kind of misunderstanding of the source material. It just doesn't work. It's it's, it's just a very, very clunky, poorly made film um, based on what could have been very, very dark and, and some interesting material. I mean, Blade, if you can, what's interesting is, okay, I've slated Blade Trinity, but if you think about Blade, Blade came a year later and was almost kind of what Spawn should have been. Uh, Blade came a year later. It's a really, really good action film. It's a great superhero film. Uh, Spawn was only a year before. Um, and yeah, if you compare the two, there's no comparison really. Um, if anything is crying out for a reboot or someone to have another go at it, and I think it might be happening, uh, this is Spawn. So yeah, if anyone's listening that wants to remake Spawn uh, or 
or just anyone have another go at Spawn, please, because it's got to be better than this. Dude, um, I, I had to, I, at the time this came out, I had to lie to my mother about what I was going to go and see at the cinema because I knew that she wouldn't approve of this movie called Spawn <laughs> that was about, like, demons and hell and all that kind of thing. And let's be real, this is a movie where the Spawn character has a sort of robotic belt that extends out like it's his dick, and on the end of it, there is a mouth. And that's what he uses to kill a woman in it. I don't know if that if that comes back to mind, but I rewatched it today to remind myself that that is a real thing. Um, <laughs> why? I don't know why. Uh, it looks like the character looks like a cross between like Deadpool, Venom, and Spider Man without being interesting in in really any particular. The comics are good though. Seriously, the comics way. are very. Oh, very I don't good, doubt so, it, yeah. man. But like this yeah. is, I'm just purely going off what's on screen here. Also, John Leguizamo comes up twice in my list, and one time is here. And in this movie, he plays like uh, the dual role of clown slash violator which although it is terrible and although both of those inc incarnations of John Luisiano are pretty terrible and like the kind of stuff that he probably doesn't want anyone to watch anymore or go back to I don't know if I've heard a better character description than clown no. slash violator um yeah the the movie is is not good and also that sequence at the end where and again I've rewatched this today, but the sequence at the end where they go like through the fireplace and into hell looks <laughs> yes. like a kind of <laughs> like a cut sequence on like the PS One or something like that. Or you yes. know in um L, the Verhoeven movie that we talked about not long ago, where yes. they show yeah, the thing that that video that game, video game they're working they're on. It yeah. looks like that. So yeah, it's it's weird to go back and watch it and just remember that like you're you're sort of watching it thinking like. Is the, have I clicked on the wrong thing? Is this actually showing me a sequence from like Spawn the video game on PS One? But no, this is the final <laughs> no. cut of the of the movie. So yeah, it's a, a very odd one, Spawn. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, cool. So number three for me is a film that myself and my younger sister Jen um, occasionally watch just to laugh at it. Um, this is a film called The Shadow from 1994, starring Alec Baldwin. And then what I think happened is Alec, they couldn't afford Alec Baldwin for some reshoots or the stunt scenes. And then you have what appears to be another actor wearing a really, really bad Alec Baldwin mask for some of the film. Um, the concept of The Shadow, um, bear with me on this one because I did, it is a while ago. Um, as an American man uh, succumbs to his dark instinct, sets himself up as a warlord uh, in, in Tibet, um, and then basically is given the chance to redeem himself and become a force for good um, and he becomes the shadow um, so the only thing that can be seen is him is him as a shadow um, and then he appears to fight I believe he ends up fighting either Genghis Khan or someone that is the spirit of Genghis Khan in the streets of New York um, so in case you hadn't noticed listeners the 90s wasn't a particularly good decade for superhero films um, and this is just a bit shonk to be honest there's Again, it suffers from much like a lot of the films we talked about from a lack of budget. The effects are terrible. Alec Baldwin, for the little, again, for the little that he appears to be in it, is completely fair in his performance. Um, it's it, The shadow is not scary. Uh, he's not an intimidating, heroic character. And the bits in which he's just kind of laughing and talking to people from the shadows, no pun intended, uh, are just sort of ill-handled and just funny. It's one of those films that is, I would argue, so bad it's funny. I would never argue for so bad it's good, as we talked about on this podcast before. This is one of those films that is so bad it's, is so bad it's funny. So... If you do want to laugh and to laugh at how poor superhero films have been and consider yourself grateful for things like Venom, then check out The Shadow. Uh, Pete, what's your number two? So that brings me, yeah, to number two, man. And by the way, yeah, I've never even heard of The Shadow and I, I feel like conflicted as to whether yeah, I should least, look it up now as a curiosity or avoid it. At least find the trailer like and then the decide. 
So it is fun, like you were saying, it is actually funny, not just... It's not meant to be funny, but it's, yeah, it's funny. Cool. Uh, at number two for me is the movie that came uh, between the uh, Frank Miller-directed Sin City and the uh, Dame to Kill for the sequel to Sin City, also directed by Frank Miller. This one is The Spirit, Paul. Have you seen The Spirit? I'm sure you have. I have seen The Spirit. I almost, almost made this list, but I genuinely thought it might make yours, so I left it off. Right. So, uh, yeah, it did make my list, Paul, and I've bumped it up it's got bumped up from number three to number two because of that spawn situation and i feel okay about that because it is fucking dreadful um the, <laughs> this movie like on the on the plus side has that like noirish uh graphic novel look that you'd come to expect uh, expect from frank miller and like that i loved in the original sin city and less so not because of that element but i don't like dame to kill for very much at all but um this would be a, or would have been a thing I was very excited about. There are also good people involved in this movie, not least uh, amongst them Sarah Paulson. Now, the problem or problems with the thing... I, I, I'm going to say the biggest problem with this movie, Paul, is the man Samuel L. Jackson. I'm so tired of Samuel L. Jackson and was then. And going back to this, I just realised that like Samuel L. Jackson gets away so often with just doing this thing where you say a sentence but you sort of shout slash overemphasize whatever the subject of that sentence is that's like a lot of samuel l jackson's acting and in this movie he talks constantly about eggs do you remember how much he talks about eggs paul no i can't say i remember how much he talks about eggs oh no yes it does, it's coming back to me now. Constant references to eggs. It's like his character's thing. He wants to talk about eggs and things that look like eggs and what are the best eggs and how free-range eggs, uh, free-range chickens make horrible, nasty brown eggs. And it's not funny the first time and it's not, like, <laughs> intriguing the second time and it's not tolerable the third time and it just goes on and on and on. I hated that. I hated the fact that they say things in this movie quite genuinely, like, to toilets are always funny. Um, I hate the fact that Ava Mendes in this just gets to be sort of like a, a, a hat rack and, and sort of walk around looking vaguely sexy. And, you know, they do those sort of um, sequences which are just so that we can, like, silhouette naked Ava Mendes. She looks great. She knows that. But, like, man, the story in this film is is all over the shop and just doesn't do justice to how good it looks visually. And I think that's, like, the biggest crime, apart from Samuel L. Jackson's constant overacting and, and irritating manner and mannerisms and affectations. I think that, like, the fact that a movie can look so good and be so bad. And also, Paul, this is a movie in, in which they dissolve a cat. And I mean, as the owner and a very proud owner of a house cat, Paul, I don't really like the sequence in this movie where they put some chemicals into a cat and then it dissolves to its eyeballs. And then, do you know when it dissolves to its eyeballs, Paul? What Sam Jackson compares those eyeballs to? That's right, Paul. Eggs. eggs. Yes. Eggs. Of course, <laughs> eggs. So many fucking eggs. I hate the spirit. I don't ever want to watch it again. I'm kind of upset that I had to go and watch clips of it because it made me sad for a second time. Although the guy at the centre, because I was thinking at this, uh, when I went to do this list, I was thinking, who actually played the spirit and why can't I remember this person? This person is uh, Gabriel Macht, but it looks like rather than like torpedoing his own career, he's made a sort of revival comeback, uh, good, good living out of that show Suits that I will never watch. So um, oh, okay. yeah, apparently yeah. he's been in a hundred plus episodes of that. So good luck to him. But this is dog shit and do not watch it. Paul, what for you is at number two? Uh, Batman and Robin. Um, there's enough been said on Batman oh, and Robin. Oh, shame on you, sir. Shame um, on you. This has got so many good lines. 
Has it though? Yes. Has it really? Okay, you're Batman and Robin. I'm not going to say much on Batman and Robin. That's my number two. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said on Batman and Robin. It killed off the Batman franchise until Nolan re, re reinvented it with Batman Begins. Um, it is atrocious. Um, it completely misunderstands the Batman character. The goofy humour is just not funny. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is given far too much um, creative freedom to just steamroller over the movie. Uh, Bane is incredibly poorly handled. Uma Thurman looks good as Poison Ivy. I'm trying to find a positive here. Um, but again, it's it's pantomime Batman and it's rubbish. Uh, Pete, what's your number hey, one? Hey, Paul. <laughs> cool it. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's called the dinosaurs the ice age <laughs> i love it man like one of like as you and the listeners are aware i'm to be married in just a couple of weeks and i would say one of the the biggest things that really brought me and my future wife together were constantly re-quoting lines from <laughs> batman and robin so for that reason it was well away from this list because i have love for it even though you're right it is a terrible terrible film but <laughs> but a lot of fun i, I still still believe um, number one for me, Paul, is not fun. It's not fun at all. And I'm sorry because I have a feeling that we might slightly diverge on what I've picked here. Because f- to all intents and purposes, this isn't necessarily a top contender for a worst superhero movies list on a number of like rubrics. But my number one pick is from 2013, Kick-Ass 2. The movie Kick-Ass well, 2... It's a comic book film. It's based on a comic book, so yeah, that's it, fair. It, yeah, no, I just mean, like, I think a lot of people try and give this a pass and say, oh, it's not as good as the first one, but the first one's amazing. Okay, first of all, some facts. The first one is not amazing. Secondly, uh, this is a terrible, terrible film. <laughs> but but the thing is, it's a terrible film on a number of levels. If you just look at it as a piece of, like, cinema or popcorn entertainment or whatever, it has its moments... I guess. People like Christopher Mintz-Platt being the motherfucker or whatever because that's edgy. People like the fact that a 15-year-old Chloe Grace Moretz talks about kicking people in the cunt all the time and stuff. They like that, don't they, Paul? But... I think we're going to have to get Jack to beat both C-bombs in this episode. (laughs) No, I I think we've gone gone over that line already. I mean, you know, if if you want to blame anyone, blame Matthew Vaughan. I mean, this movie is uh, so, so smug to start with so smug it's untrue you know jeff wadlow directed this don't you not matthew i do Vaughan. and matthew because vaughan's a producer okay. and has his hand in it and yes, made money yes. off it as he does with yes, a load of the, the sure. direct that he's done uh, in his his career um sorry i'll let you continue uh, yeah as i say uh th- yeah it's very very lazy as well as being sm- smug it's kind of got this satirical thing going on that seems to be a sort of catch-all defender against criticism where it's like oh no we're satirizing uh, american society uh sure you are um it also does things like steals the idea of a six stick directly from minority report why paul so it can be repurposed for a scene in which teenage girls are projectile vomiting and shitting on the floor because you know edgy and, and stuff i guess um yeah i i don't like matthew vaughan um whisper it but i i don't also taking money from this movie by the way paul uh producers or exec producers brad pitt and claudia schiffer so good for them they've added to some zeros to the bank balance maybe uh second appearance on my list for john Luiziamo. so bless him uh he takes a check doesn't he old (laughs) Luiziamo is not too too picky i've also got to say um and i you know i might be in the minority and i don't really care but I'm not sure that Mark Miller is that good of a thing for the world, if I'm honest. Um, I I look back through the things that have come from Mark Miller comic books and have been adapted for the screen, and obviously that doesn't represent all of his work. But when this kind of thing, um, in the this is five years old. That's it. Kickass two, right? Two thousand thirteen. At 
at the best end of what this has given rise to is something like the sequel to Deadpool, which I think did a much better job of being genuinely funny. But then you've got things like uh, Matthew Vaughan's own film, The Golden Circle, sequel to Kingsman, which is god-awful, and riffs on a lot of the same things. And it's just like, oh, we're making a joke out of this. So the fact that we're recklessly having teenagers standing in in uh, on like a piece of dirt land shooting each other with handguns, that's fine because we're going to imagine that we're not within a context in which people walk into schools and, and slay their own classmates because, you know, this is ironic and, and we're defensible for that reason. I think that what I feel for a film like Kick-Ass 2 goes beyond what I feel for a film like The Spirit or Spawn, which are both like, just bad movies or Catwoman or Barbed Wire, they're bad movies. This is, a, a, a to me, a kind of hateful movie and a, and a production that's just willing to wring money out of absolutely anything that it can under the proviso that we're just being sort of shocking and edgy. Apparently, uh, Mark Miller heard that um, Jim Carrey objected to the violence in the film and said that that was really great because it was like somebody saying, your porno has too much nudity. I don't know. Make of that what you will. I fucking hate this and I wish that it hadn't been made and I wish that like we didn't live in a society that just lapped it up and, and sort of thought it was all good old fun. But um, yeah, what's the number one for you, man? Stop me because I'm getting depressed. Uh, well, I didn't hate Kick-Ass 2, but I didn't love it either. I think it was, yeah, it's, it's a pretty poor sequel. Oh, I've got to say, yeah. I've got to say, Paul, Chuck Liddell's in it and he gets paid. So the Iceman uh, took some money from this film. Not all bad. But apart from that, pretty much all bad. A film that is pretty much all bad, but also might make, it might even make my number one superhero, my number one best superhero film of all time, depending on what mood I was in. It certainly would feature on my top five films that are so bad they're funny. Uh, Pete, this is, of course, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace from 1987. Um, in wit, I mean, this is produced by um, Golden Globus, um, and I've completely forgotten the film production company. We talked about the documentary about that, those guys in his production company, um, Canon Films, that was it, uh, a little while ago in the documentary Electric Boogaloo, which I think you watched in the end, which is quite a fascinating insight into them. Uh, so this is basically people picking up the rights to the Superman, to the Superman series way on in 1987, um, giving Christopher Reeve creative control over what Superman does, which in this case is uh, take all the all the nuclear warheads in the world, gather them into a giant net and throw them into the sun. Um, so yeah, the special effects are as good as you can imagine for the budget that this film has. Um, yeah, super Superman flying shots are reused time and time and time and time and time and time again. Uh, so the film literally looks like, I mean, if, if the shadow looked like it was made for 50p, then Superman 4 looks like it was made for about 10p. Is, is, is this um, the one with the repairing the Great Wall of China with laser eyes? Quite possibly. I'm not sure, because I was looking um, at a few of these so movies. Th well, this is this is the one, Pete, with Nuclear Man. Right. Uh, and Nuclear Man is created by Gene Hackman from what looks like a bit of raw chicken, um, Superman's hair, and a bit of foil. And then they put that into the sun, and out of the sun comes Nuclear Man, uh, who is fuel, whose powers, Pete, are fueled only by direct sunlight so they beat him by when he's in a lift <laughs> <laughs> amazing <laughs> so yeah i mean this is the thing right there is a lot as i said when my proviso at the beginning is there is a lot of fun to be had with superman 4 don't get me wrong and there's this whole scene as well where uh clark and superman have to double date lois lane uh, at the same time so you can there's this, so many zany scenes where like so clark's there and then he has to disappear and he's like oh so it's like a honestly like um a, a kind of like a, a subpar what am i thinking of here 
sort of a subpar like BBC early sort of late nineties BBC comedy sketch, like kind of just awful slapstick stuff. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had with Superman for the Quest for Peace, but it is a staggering piece of shit as a film. Really, really is bad. Um, so yeah, possibly best worst superhero film there would be. Nice. Well, I like <laughs> Superman for the Quest. For I Peace. also like that you finished with like a sort of fun takedown of a movie when I feel so much like ire towards my number one. Yes. So yeah, that... I know a big part of me loves Superman for the Quest for Peace, but I can't, I can't sit there and tell you it's a good film. <laughs> like... Right. Um, that brings us to the end of this uh, walk of shame through the the top five worst superhero films ever committed to film but it doesn't quite bring us to the end of the show because we'll be back after a, a moment's break with a little chat about superhero films that we might be looking forward to Yeah, so back we are. Um, superhero films aren't going anywhere, like the more loathe them, um, and the more they keep making money. I mean, the, the Marvel films, I mean, well, Venom's just taken, Venom's number one at the UK boxes over, over the weekend. Uh, so even a non-Marvel Marvel film, we, we tried to explain that earlier, uh, is still making a lot of money. The MCU is just raking in money at the moment with Infinity War doing over a billion dollars at the box office. Uh, so yeah, there are a number of others on the way. Pete, have you got any you're excited uh, about? Yeah, man. Like, I'm looking forward to seeing Aquaman I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Aquaman because it seems like the kind of movie that just should not work and should be a, a sort of a mess and be a CGI sort of problematic soup of digital stuff but then I really like the Aquaman character as we've seen him um, thus far in the, the recent uh, Justice League stuff or whatever so I I don't know like with a little bit of, of caution I'm excited about Aquaman. How do you feel about that movie? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit cautious because I said the uh, although none of the the DCU films made my worst five list, um, mainly because they're all so bland, they're not even worth talking about in in the slightest. So, yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. I mean, you know, the, there's been one and only moderately successful, in my opinion, DCU film, and that was Wonder Woman, which I think you liked a lot more than me. I thought it was fairly average. Fairly um, I did. I still maintain it's fairly average. Uh, despite its positive message, which was all fine and dandy, the film was Oh, how good. condescending um, can you be? Oh, it's all fine and dandy. You're heading up a massive release superhero movie with a woman for like the first time ever. That's fine and dandy. Yeah, but you mentioned Wonder Woman and, and being the other success. But here the thing is, and I guess the thing I'm clutching to is, like Jason Momoa is just so watchable that I find it hard to believe that it's going to be terrible. Oh no, that's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I, I want to enjoy it. I think yeah, Jason Momoa, as you say, is very watchable. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm hoping this will be another, another at least moderately successful film in the franchise. But bear in mind that also in this, also in this same franchise, you've got Batman vs Superman, terrible. Yeah. Justice yeah. League, terrible. Yeah, Suicide right. Squad, terrible. You're right. So you know it's not been, it's not been it's a, not a been rolling, plain it's not sailing. Been a, it's not been a hit factory. No. Let's be honest. Dece so, I've got yeah, here, Paul. So unless I'm mistaken, December twenty first this year is Aquaman. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we haven't spoken yet about Captain Marvel, right? We haven't yet spoken about Captain Marvel, which is, again, all fine and dandy that they've put a woman into a superhero <laughs> It's your new thing! Uh, it's fine and dandy, women! <laughs> no. 
<laughs> uh, no, so Captain Marvel I'm very excited about. I think you've got Oscar winner Brie Larson here. Um, it's all joking apart. It's long overdue um, that we've had uh, that we've had any female-led superhero films in all in, in all seriousness. Uh, Captain Marvel is the first time the MCU have done it. Um, the caliber of their films, let's just be frank, whatever you think of Wonder Woman, the caliber of the Marvel films has been a damn sight better than the DCU yeah. films. Um, also, I think what they've they've been very canny here. Uh, the post-credit scene in Infinity War. Everyone's going to know what this is, so there's no spoilers here. Uh, the post-credit post-credit screen in Infinity War sends out a message to Captain Marvel, so it looks like she is actually going to be going to potentially save the day in the Infinity War sequel, which I think is a month or two after um, Captain Marvel comes out. So. This is setting up Captain Marvel, uh, set in the 90s, setting up Captain Marvel as this incredibly powerful character um, that will potentially save the day. So not only are they doing a tentpole superhero film with a woman in the lead role, it looks like a woman's going to save the day from all the incompetent male superheroes in Infinity right. War. So that's where I think it's and, going. So, and yeah, something you, uh, exciting something you mentioned there uh, in passing that I think is really cool is that the film is set in the 1990s. So for people of a certain yeah. age, Paul and, and, and myself included, I, I think that having this kind of big budget thing set in that period of time will be pretty, pretty interesting. So and, you know, Brie Larson's great and, you know, all power to her. So like hopefully things work out from, from that point of view um anything else to touch on uh, x-men dark phoenix feelings yeah it'll be right i'm sure i've got a feeling it'll be the last time we see the this x-men because i think marvel are gonna well marvel have bought well uh disney have bought sony now so not sony uh fox disney have bought fox now so i think this would be the possibly the last time we see these x-men and then we may get them rebooted and rolled into the mcu i mean so of, of course we to see where they go with it yeah absolutely this is slated for february 2019 but like uh the the big sort of minus i guess here is that they've reported reshoots taking up to a year um when you hear about uh, sort of piecemeal reshoots on a film it's not necessarily a sign of something that's going to end up being fantastic so uh, I guess there's a, a certain amount of trepidation from the fan base. And um, I don't know, man, the X-Men movies have sort of, for me, have sort of veered between things that I'll, I'll really sort of um, stick to and, and, and get behind and things that I just find to be sort of overlong and dull. So, uh, yeah, I don't know which way this is, is going to go, really. Uh, I guess we'll find out in, in not too long. Anything else that you want to mention, Paul, um, that's uh, yes, the last one from me that I'm excited about has been pushed to April, uh, directed by Neil Marshall. This is a new Hellboy right. film uh, starring David Harbour from Stranger Things as Hellboy. Ian McShane is in this. Mila Jovovich is on Villainous Duties. Uh, Sasha Lane's in this, which is always exciting. Uh, and what's quite interesting about this as well, as much as I would have loved to have seen, I think we've talked about this before, I'd love to have seen a Hellboy 3 from Del Toro. Uh, that's definitely not happening now. Uh, the story for this actually was came up, has been come up with by the Hellboy creator, Mike Mignola. So that's quite interesting as well. So um, yeah, Neil Marshall's a director that I genuinely like. I think he's a talented director. Uh, Hellboy's a character that I like a lot. And David Harbour is a very cool actor. And if you look, at, look online at the artwork, Hellboy looks incredibly scary. Uh, I know that they're apparently going for a much darker route with this it should be r-rated so yeah very excited about hellboy um i know that you'll be happy to know that the margot robbie uh harley quinn character is being brought back for uh oh, the movie birds of prey which i'm quite the thing i'm looking at here is saying skip this movie and i disagree because i think it will be interesting enough to see her swinging her baseball bat around and stuff like that and uh, female directed i believe this this movie as well uh, not that that guarantees it any kind of success or credibility or whatnot and yeah most of suicide squad is terrible but um somewhat interested let's say interested to see where that goes um 
other than that, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we've got Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker in the Todd Phillips um, standalone, possibly Joker origin. It seems unnecessary. Sure surely so un- un- unnecessary, like, though, that movie. I like the idea of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. I don't like the idea of Todd Phillips directing anything. Right. There's all. I, I did. <laughs> sure. I didn't shove into the last bit as well. There's also Suicide Squad two uh, in the pipeline. Oh, I'm sure there's there's a two to everything we've mentioned. There's probably a two or three two without a shadow of a doubt. So yeah, just assume assume sequels. <laughs> they've announced that there's going to be a Batgirl movie, which I'm into. Although we don't know yet who the Batgirl is going to be. I don't believe. Uh, Favorites no, ap- apparently are. Um, Bella Thorne, Olivia Cook, Elle Fanning, Jane Levy, uh, Emma Roberts, basically like all the young actresses are the favourite to take on uh, this role. Um, that might just about... Oh, no, no, I want to tack on the end because of something that we touched on earlier on. Wonder Woman 1984 is a thing that I'm excited about because Gal Gadot is amazing in that role. And yeah, the first movie wasn't perfect, but I liked it a lot. And I'm really excited to see what they do with that uh, that follow-up. So yeah, I'll be... I'll be fully involved. I'll be in the IMAX on the biggest screen that I can possibly get to for whenever that lands. Good, which is, I think, late next year, possibly 20... November the 1st, 2019. So uh, we've got a while to wait, over a year to wait. But, um, you know, the anticipation will build. I'll just bring it up loads on this show and get on your nerves. Uh, So that'll be be worth (laughs) it, really. Um, Cool. Okay. well, there are other things that we will certainly touch on in the future in terms of comic book movies that we're excited about or superhero movies as well uh, that we're excited about on this show. But I think today what we've done, Paul, is we've shown that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Although those terrible, terrible, terrible things in our top fives have been made, better things will be made. And although you may have gone this weekend or you may go this week to see Venom, which we've basically said is um, about one third of an okay movie and two thirds of a terrible movie, uh, there is reason to be cheerful about your superhero world. I mean, the, the superhero film, if you look, if you whatever you think of superhero movies, if you look at them now compared to where they were, certainly in the early to mid-90s, they're a damn sight better now than they ever have been. So, yeah, even, even I understand if people don't like them and I also despise the fact that people get snobby about them because, frankly, listeners, I went to see Climax and Venom in the same weekend. So you can like outhouse cinema and go and see superhero films. It is allowed. Uh, but, yeah, whatever you think of them, they're better now than they ever have been and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that I, I suppose part of our responsibility, if we have any responsibility, is sort of to pass uh, between the, sh- the films that are, uh, you know, big budget, extravagant, and worth the time and money and those that are really not so hopefully we can go some way towards helping people like navigate their way through the choices that you're making at the box office when it comes to these things because some of them are certainly um much more worthy than others i think of of your time and attention um this has been our episode of the show we've run a little bit long but i think we've done that because we got quite excited about talking about terrible films at least i definitely did yes Um, for sure and uh so yeah i don't think we need to apologize the length of the show to be honest because it is still better than all of the films that were on our respective lists and they all lasted about apart from maybe superman 4 might be more entertaining but true true yeah (laughs) if you regret listening to the show go watch superman 4 to get over it um yeah but apart from that we are available via all our social media channels and you should go back and listen to old episodes of our show via the SoundCloud archive. Although, Paul, we will be migrating away from SoundCloud with uh, or in due course, right? Yes, we will. Thank you for that reminder of something I have yet to do. Uh, yes, we will be re- migrating from SoundCloud to something called Libsyn, which is Liberated Syndication, uh, who are a kind of 
Well, we fancied a change, to be honest, um, and we thought we'd see what these guys could offer. They've migrated all the old episodes over. I've got some time off at the end of the week, and we'll be moving over, but you will still be able to get all the episodes there, so you shouldn't have much... Listeners shouldn't see much change to that. Um, it should still go out on the usual platforms, but yes, we will be moving homes very shortly. Yeah, and, and fuck yourself, SoundCloud. Not really. Don't mean it. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I think the move has just been prompted by the fact that SoundCloud took away functionality that was really helpful and functional, so I'm not sure why they did that, but uh, we're going to move on and uh, prosper in the future. Um, yeah, like I say, apart from that, hit us up on social media. Um, otherwise, we will be back in about a week's time. I'm saying that and touching wood at the same time not my penis uh we'll be back in about a week's time with the next episode of the show any insights which will be first man first, first man, man thank surely. you paul you're very very good at doing that job which i always forget to do which is think about what we're going to do next week first man with uh, ryan gosling going into space as neil armstrong get excited for that i'm sure we'll have strong opinions paul any last words for today uh, no i'm out see ya shut up and sit down